welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, South Korea in reflection, mm-hmm. East Timor in prospection, and an episode calendar? Looking forward uh, to this season? Yeah. Goals, objectives, our plans. <laughs> to get that right off the bat, get it out of the way. Yeah. Yes. Probably with politics, for the first time in its history, will have a, an episode upload schedule. Yes. Is that the first time in our history? Uh, Look, let's say so, so that we don't have to reference previous failures. Um, <laughs> I think this is better this way. <laughs> you can look forward to getting a new episode of Probably About Politics on the second Monday of every month. Yes. Not to be confused with every second Monday, as I just recently said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that let's not overcommit ourselves. And uh, I think this is good. We're putting it out here so that, you know, our listeners can harass us with, if we don't hit the mark. Hmm. Um, you know, give us that feedback that you were really looking forward to it. Now we have, it's like we have an, like 10,000 gym partners now that are going to make us get yeah. all of our all t- All 10,000 <laughs> of our listeners. Uh, I like to undersell the pods just so that yeah. people feel like we're a close-knit small community. Yes. Um, but to all 146,000 of you that <laughs> listen to this show, uh, we appreciate you and get this out of the way at the start. We love you all. Yes. Um, so we won't be doing that at the end. <laughs> You you can't say you you can say you love people too much. Yeah. Um, throughout those the the next six months ish of the show, um, we're also going to be trying to talk about what's necessary to maintain democracy. Mm-hmm. Instead of previously, we've done some summer school episodes and stuff on how what what is democracy and what how you vote and stuff like that. These kind of like overt structures of democracy and politics. And we're going to be trying to look at some of the underlying structure, the things that make it happen, maybe parts of the democratic process that are outside of the democratic process, Mm -hmm. maybe some aspects of journalism and uh, observers and nonprofit organizations, who these people are and what they do. Yeah. Trying to understand, yeah, I think that something that is maybe a question for a lot of us, like what we're facing in in the world today is like democracy as something that can go forward and backwards and like is is something that needs to be maintained, I think is is a conversation that we have a lot when we're looking at some of these elections and it'll be nice to get to focus on that a little bit. And I think a lot of people talk about, more and more people are saying, Kaylee, that the world is in crisis and everything is declining and democracy is so bad now mm-hmm. but you know back the ancient greeks they had it right oh. or whenever you know <laughs> the we'll see if that's actually true because i don't think that it yeah. necessarily yeah. is <laughs> I, i'm almost confident that our democracy today I, i'm 100 confident actually i'm not almost confident 100 confident democracy today is better than it was when the ancient greeks <laughs> wow spoken like a true non-landowner yeah, exactly. <laughs> both, both a woman and, and and somebody who could not own land uh okay so this is our this is what we're looking forward to doing is trying to figure out what <laughs> what makes democracy happen at this point because yeah. we've been doing this for what six years now yeah. we're covering south korea for the second time uh and we're still not sure yeah that that was the signal to me that we had to get the answer to this all right so without further ado mm-hmm. then yes kaylee we had to the south of the Korean Peninsula, 
Yes. The country of over 50 million people with a first-past-the-post presidential election system mm-hmm. where the incumbent president can no longer be president anymore, Moon Jae-in, mm-hmm. because they're limited to one five-year term. Yes. We'll talk about whether or not that's a good idea. Yeah. Also, there's currently a, an already sitting unicameral National Assembly of 300 representatives. That was elected back in 2020. That's not up for election right now. Yeah. This is just the presidential election that just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but that National Assembly, interesting mix of constituency seats and also proportional representation, and then two different types of proportional representation within yeah. that. <laughs> a whole a whole grab bag of ideas going on at that National Assembly. Yes. Um, but... We don't have to understand all that complexity. We're just doing a presidential election and we know and love just two guys and then a bunch of other people who show up and don't win. Yes, (laughs) just just two guys, single round, winner takes all election. Exactly. Winner takes all, even though neither of them get over 50% of the vote. No. Um, And so the incumbent Moon Jae-in is stepping down peacefully, which is good. Um, And he's a member of the Democratic Party. Uh, and the Democratic Party is the party that also holds power in the National That's Assembly. Yeah. So they did have both elected bodies. Um, and now we have this presidential election that just happened. Yes. And that's no uh, yeah, longer the spoiler case. Spoiler alert, it, it's now <laughs> split, which is, is always interesting. I think we've come in up against that a couple times of where where now that they have elect, they did elect... Uh, Yun Wang um, won, and he's a member of the People's Par- Power Party, uh, which is a more conservative, the more conservative party that was up for election uh, of of the two sort of leading candidates. Um, and he, yeah, as Alex had said earlier, like he won by forty eight point six percent of the votes versus uh, versus the Democratic Party, who won forty seven point eight percent of of the the vote in the end. Uh, so let's see. It was a tight mark. It was a really tight race. And previously it was sort of seen to be like the most wide open race since, uh, in the, in, since, uh, they'd ha- started having these elections as a country. Mm-hmm. This is like less than one percentage point yeah. above the competitor. Something like in a country of 50 million people, something like 200,000 individual votes. Yeah. Um, which I don't know. It's difficult to say whether or not your vote matters, but someone's vote matters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in this case, you can see that, you know, it's pretty close to mattering sometimes whether or not you vote. Yeah. For sure, if you had voted for one of those other random guys, then maybe yeah. not. But <laughs> I'm, this is something I'm always interested in in just looking at presidential elections, especially presidential elections, because there's often not like necessarily parties involved for all of these things. And like the registered candidates for this, I think there's 14 registered candidates. Um, And all of those parties have like other elections to choose their leader. Often there's like these perennial candidates and Mm -hmm. stuff, but just like looking through the different um, parties before we talk about the real politicians, not that these people aren't real politicians, (laughs) but I mean like some of these like newer parties um, like the new wave squid party. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the new wave squid party, they are a big proponents of uh, universal basic income. Yeah. Right. Um, but there's also a basic income party. And the whole point of the basic income party is that they just want basic income. Yeah. So these types of ideas that have an entire presidential candidate, who's not going to win. Um, there's independent candidates and stuff. It's just like, 
the the down ballot yeah <laughs> the down ballot candidates and presidential elections it's nice to see that this is something that brings all countries together is that we all have <laughs> yeah <laughs> this in common like i guess ideally in these situations those candidates eventually sort of you know recognizing that they're going to lose might throw their support behind sort of a, a, a one of the two main candidates uh, which did happen i believe this is part of the reason why um why the people's power party did end up winning the presidential vote um is because hmm. a couple, uh, uh another conservative candidate dropped out through his support behind him um and then and so that is in its own way like it's coalition building happening in less uh, a less formalized uh, way i guess um so mm-hmm. i guess for for those of you who think that you know coalitions are uh, not happening in in they're often happening whether or not it's it's so formal or because you do sort of like specifically like all these other down ballot candidates right i guess not down ballot candidates but candidates who win smaller proportions of the mm-hmm. vote um there's two other candidates mm-hmm. right Sim Sang Jung from the Justice yeah. Party and Huck Young Young from the National Revolutionary Dividends mm-hmm. Party. And both of those two candidates won enough votes to make up more than the margin between the two yeah. winners. Um, like the Revolutionary Dividends Party won over 0.8% of the vote, which is greater margin <laughs> uh, than than the difference between the two winners. And Sim Sang uh jung won 2.4 percent of the vote so like this is always really interesting like especially when they align Mm -hmm. like like semi closely like the party that i was talking about earlier the the new wave squid party or the new wave party right like in particular they're like we're not going to support either of the two main parties because that's the problem um but by not doing that then yeah i don't know the whole thing and and it's so and it, and as it that is already always sort of the the complicated uh question of, of 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 yeah do you throw your support behind or do you stand up for what what yeah what it is that you're specifically advocating for i think that's always the, the pull um it is i think important to note like the there were some distinct like this was um, as I, I I think I said Dallas before we started, this was sort of called the election of the unfavorables. So neither of the leading candidates were were liked. People didn't really like the choice that was put before them, um, and and so mm-hmm. it was it was a very uh, bit of a mudslingy uh, election campaign that led up to it. And I think that that can make it really hard uh, to necessarily throw yourself behind any particular candidates. And also in those elections, sometimes I think you can hope that you might be able to split up the middle and, and get in there um, uh, in that case. Um, but that didn't, that didn't particularly work out this time. Um, the People's Power Party, the, the, the Yun Won, who, who won for them, has had uh, a particular perspective uh, on, in this election that he really went with, which was uh, like he, he vowed particularly to abolish the country's gender equality and family ministry um uh in right. to try and get to the votes of young men because there's currently a fairly big tension um between uh gender like advocacy for gender equality um and a sense um, a growing sense among uh young men in South Korea uh that their these policies are are affecting their sort of 
ability to compete in a job market and uh, their mm-hmm. their equality in in society. Um, so there was sort of like a, 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 a lot of populist pull, I guess, being thrown in here. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Sim Sanjun, the labor activist that you mentioned earlier, she was she was the sole female candidate, and if she got enough votes to have split the vote to go to the Democrat. Democratic Party, who did not have that, you, you could have seen why there would be appeal to thinking about that process and how coalition building can be really useful um, in, mm-hmm. in, in uh, democratic processes to more maybe more accurately represent what the people want, I guess. Yeah, and like specifically, there's this weird like wrinkle in this uh, election um, with these like, did you see this? The two famous like feminists like these two famous left-wing like celebrities ended up endorsing um, Yoon Suk-yeol of the People's Power Party who ended up winning, yeah. right? Um, and just kind of like totally out of the middle of nowhere, like endorsed yeah. him. Um, and then there's like all of these other people coming out saying like, this doesn't make any sense. Like there's all these quotes and everything like on the Wikipedia page for this specific incident. There's like all these quotes from people like these spokespeople saying the change is bizarre telling people to stop the show (laughs) (laughs) uh like it the whole thing like it was just like very strange and people were like very upset about it um but specifically on this on this topic of these unfavorables right these two guys um the eventual winner of the of the election yun suk yul who's now the the president um it has never been a politician Mm -hmm. before right um and as a previous prosecutor general which i don't know if that's so much liked or not um but like he specifically was like suspended Mm -hmm. of in the role of prosecutor general because of some uh scandals going on and then also was then reinstated but then um resigned of his own accord kind of um and is now is now uh running for president um so it's just a lot of difficulty i think <laughs> yeah it seems like uh it is a challenging spot that the voters in in south korea are in i think uh yeah as you said like yung suk yeol is he was this top prosecutor in um the 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 and he convicted uh previous president park who I think we covered in the previous South Korean election we covered. In the last time yeah, we covered this country. Yeah, she had an impeachment yeah. <laughs> trial, and he was really, uh, you know, in there. So, he, yeah, he was sort of a top anti-corruption prosecutor. But then there was still, like, a, a sense that he maybe also is a bit tied in that. I think, I don't know if, if our listeners want to go back mm-hmm. and listen to learn about that part of the the reason that President Park was impeached was for her ties to uh to some uh i think uh fortune tellers and shamans um and mm-hmm. and uh and in in reality um the now the president-elect himself was also having to deny that he was connected to uh to a shaman um and an acupuncture who claimed uh, uh like uh, this like uh, shaman acupuncturist um person as well so so there's a lot of uh sort of uh focus on uh candidates lives and like in inter- and and how they're behaving um and and maybe not a lot of trust in how these politicians are behaving in the current system mm-hmm. which i think is uh is a real challenge and i think we've seen it you know play out in several other elections at, 
or that we've covered um when you also have like a lot of really big challenges uh coming up like i i i think that uh you know uh in this election voters have are really facing like real widening economic inequality in the country uh housing prices are skyrocketing and unemployment and underemployment of, of, of people with university degrees is a big problem in south korea right now mm-hmm. um and these are these could i think uh very easily be tied to this growing unrest amongst young men for their lack of in, uh employment and their their feelings that they're not uh being represented in the job market where uh, as the candidate who's just been elected president instead has just gone and said we'll get rid of gender equality and family ministry rather than coming up with really firm, uh, concrete plans for how to address uh, sort of widening economic inequality. Well, I guess maybe maybe getting rid of gender equality is how he's going to address economic inequality, <laughs> but I would be skeptical about that as a solution. <laughs> um, so for for listeners who haven't been with the, with the podcast for the last half decade, um, that South Korea episode is from April 15th, 2016. Yep. Uh, if you want to go back and check that out, audio quality might be a little bit different than it is now, but I'll leave that up to but you, you can see how to go <laughs> go and check that out if you want. Now, okay, I think we're going a little long on South Korea here. So this election already happened. It happened um, back on the 9th. Um, so you can see who won already and everything, everything that came out of this. So there's kind of this shakeup now, changing from Democratic-led to People's Power Party-led uh, presidency. Still, um, the Democratic Party holds the majority of the power, like a big majority of the power in the National Assembly. Um, but I want to move on to East Timor because specifically the differences between what we see here between the elected president in East in South Korea, um, going to East Timor, where specifically before this election, there were these cultural calls for improved um, gender equality and kind of putting these things at the forefront of the election um, and within the society. So I think that could be an interesting thing to talk about with East Timor um, coming up. Uh, but first, Kaylee, yes. we've talked about South Korea, yeah. and now we talk about the only Asian country completely south of the equator. In East Timor. Yes. Um, and for those of you who don't know East Timor, on in the Indonesian archipelago, for those of you who don't know where Indonesia is, it's on <laughs> <laughs> the eastern half of the globe uh, near the equator, uh, a bunch of different islands. And for those of you who still don't know where that is, you should play Worldle because <laughs> Indonesia was one of the countries just last yeah. week. <laughs> so East Timor, only Asian country completely south of the equator kind of interesting that it's called east but it's also south but south korea is also part of asia but not south anyway. yeah <laughs> directions east don't Timor, matter it, right east Timor, you might not have heard of this because it's new yeah. we're talking about a new country east Timor was the first new sovereign state of the 21st century oh wow um Kaylee, yeah. a little bit of a quiz okay. now on the show. You're really good at Worldle, mm. but are you good at quizzes about the, the foundation of new sovereign states on the podcast? <laughs> Since the instatement or the recognition of East Timor yeah. as a sovereign state, there have been three other countries which have been recognized as sovereign. Can you name one of them? One of them is, two of them are easy because it's one that was split into two. Uh... 
All right, I'm getting a look yeah, that no, says no. No, I don't know. Okay, so one of them, another country that starts with South. A little bit of a hint. South Sudan. Okay, yeah. And before that, Serbia and Montenegro okay. as two separate countries. Yeah, I was looking. I was thinking about that area. It might be where it is, but I wasn't sure who it was. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Serbia and Montenegro on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> anyway, so this is East Timor, right? We're talking about East Timor, the first um country of the 21st century uh and their upcoming election of the 2022 election cycle the previous election was in 2017 and the guy who is looking like a favorite this time is the guy who won that time yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah east timor yeah so it is a new country and an important to note i think that in becoming a new country that was it did come out of conflict like there was a, a, mm-hmm. a, 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 I guess, a referendum or a vote to separate from Indonesia, and then that was met with conflicts. Um, uh, uh, and 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 so it was a country that has been in the last uh, 20, 30 years been building uh, its mm-hmm. democracy. It's very like out of a out of a, a serious conflict that came, and it and it is certainly one of the poor countries in that region of the world. So, th- so it is, uh, it is dealing with a number of issues. And so that does make it really inf- interesting to see like sort of, there were a number of articles covering this election talking about how uh, East Timor has focused on building their democracy and what they've, what they've had to do. And it, mm-hmm. it's now sort of rated as one of the most democratic uh, countries in that region uh, uh, by Freedom House, I believe. Yeah, so it's one of the strongest democracies. It's a reasonably small country, population of only 1.3 million, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much the the great majority, I think, like almost 70% of their um, economy is basically built around oil exports and coffee. Um, the oil is kind of interestingly offshore, mm-hmm. um, and they also do some of the oil drilling and prospecting with like Australian backing yeah. or something like that. So this is kind of like this interesting mix of this is a new country um looking and they really seem to be like acutely aware of the need to build the country for the future Mm -hmm. they're looking at all of this equality trying to maintain um gender equality and also income equality try to promote those things and trying to move away necessarily from these um aspects of their economy which are based in um oil and gas and like agricultural production and stuff so kind of like it seems like a very forward-looking country it seems they seem to be acutely aware of um conflict Mm -hmm. and things and things that could be destabilizing to them and really wanting to make a a rock steady (laughs) um base for them to stand on so i just wanted to quickly mention um the 2017 election that happened right so the current president is francisco gutierrez um and interestingly uh in east timor um all the presidential candidates are formally independent um but so they're they're all independents but they have the backing of specific parties (laughs) um so like in in effect it's the same as everywhere else but kind of interesting that he's actually independent um and he's backed by the fratellan party and the fratellan party um is of note because the fratellan stands for the revolutionary front for an independent east timor which gutierrez was a guerrilla fighter within before east timor was recognized as sovereign Mm -hmm. right so 
this guy knows what it takes to build a nation yeah. and is interested <laughs> in building this nation. Um, and Gutierrez won that 2017 election um, by a landslide. He got 57% of the vote with second place only coming in with 32%. So 82% or 80% more than second place, almost doubled um, a, uh, second place's vote share. Um, so yeah. What do you have to say, Kelly, <laughs> about Easton? Yeah, so and I think it, Gutierrez is an interesting. Uh, he, there, sort of the the history of candidates uh, for uh, East Timor. Again, it's a new country, but have been revolutionary can- candidates who were in the involved in the founding, which makes sense. It wasn't that long ago, um, and this election is interesting in that it's probably the first one. It's the first one where there are significant female candidates running for election uh, in the presidential role. Um, as well as the first real like challengers who are outside of that sort of revolutionary government foundation foundation government um, in in that sort of 1990 early 2000s 1999 early 2000s period um, and and as you were saying like it is a country that is focused on how can it, it it's next coming to its up to its next steps like how do you move your economy to expand your economy to accommodate them and this is really like i think a lot to do with recognition of how the population is changing the vast majority of the population is under 30 percent and so they need uh you know and and if you're a post-revolutionary country i think uh and 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 that has had maybe histories of instability um a really like uh a, a key thing to watch for is unemployment under in large young populations largely younger populations um, so, so figuring out how to create sustainable drivers for the economy is going to be key. And then, and, and also I think that, that the outcome of this election, it's, it's not, I don't think expected to be hugely surprising. It will probably be, uh, you know, one of the, yeah, one of the, the, uh, more traditional candidates, but, um, something like 20% of the voters are heading to the ballot for the first time because they just turned 18, which is, is a big turnover in, mm-hmm. in that. So it, it is very much a country that is figuring out how to move from having established their democracy into that next step of like, we now have young people who do not know anything other than East Timor being a country of its own and, and East Timor's democracy. There are exceptionally high levels of turnout for the elections as well. Um, Especially uh, in a country that does face quite a bit of um, difficulties. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, this world hunger or global hunger index, right? Category categorizes hunger levels as serious in East Timor, um, though they have um, declined quite mm-hmm. a bit. So I think it was almost 50% um, recently, and it's now down to just over one in three um, people in East Timor uh, experience uh, hunger. Um, so they really seem to be moving forwards towards these things, but also it's, it's just like really... Um, interesting to me that there's all of this political engagement and there can be so much political engagement um despite um potential uh challenges to achieving those things um and especially i think we both read this article um by the council for foreign relations um specifically citing all of the like issues in southeast asian countries democratically right now like in myanmar and um in thailand uh and in the philippines you know all of these um kind of like regional powers um having these like military coups um and whatnot 
and East Timor uh, really trying to do something different and do it a different way. <laughs> yeah. And it, it sounds like in that same article, I think it talks about how um, how they have been uh, working hard to sort of take the elections down to the community level. Again, it's a small country. And mm-hmm. I think we see a lot in small countries that successful uh, the reality is, is that politics and, and government is taking place at a very local level, and but really taking that infrastructure, especially when you have um, impoverished community, a lot of impoverished communities or, uh, you know, with barriers to access is if you move that physical infrastructure um, to the community level, you can really increase, increase participation. Um, and I think something else that was really interesting to me was the idea that, like, I think in the previous election, there was a uh, there were some uh, controversy in how sort of the government was dissolved um, and there was uh, heightened tensions. And so at the start of this election cycle for, for this upcoming election cycle, um, they actually engaged uh, the general elections commission um, got 11 of the 16 con- uh, con- uh, candidates to attend uh, a, a traditional ritual with local elders um, where they all signed packs and, and asked for the blessings of ancestors to ensure a peaceful campaign. And I think it's a really interesting uh, thing that we haven't necessarily talked about. I think it, it does exist in a number of democracies, but an integration of culture and, um, and, and traditional rituals to the process of democracy to sort of gain that uh, trust and, and uh, incorporation of democracy as, as a part of your identity. Not to not to have a pod meeting in the middle of a pod, but I think that could be an interesting thing to talk about in a future episode. Like the symbolism and cultural relevance of like specific acts within Parliament. Um, like the first thing that comes to mind when you're talking about this for me is like the like ceremonial mace, mm-hmm. right? Like in any like sitting of Parliament, like if this mace is not in the room, then <laughs> it, it doesn't happen. <laughs> right so like these weird ways that like other symbolism is invoked to maintain and normally it's like hey guys let's all let's all keep a level head here let's all be nice to each other let's remember things that are bigger than us let's have these other aspects i mean specifically thinking now like i'm just thinking about like the juxtaposition between these two countries we're talking about today and i think i don't know if our listeners will remember this, but like back from like the late, like two thousands, um, like 2000, like seven ish, maybe the like fist fights and brawls <laughs> that would like regularly happen in the South Korean national yeah. assembly. <laughs> um, and like all these new protocols that they had to put in place to like, stop these like <laughs> outbursts of violence yeah. within the national assembly. Um, so I think that makes sense, you know, get all the candidates together and have some pledges going on that um, things matter more than winning the election or losing the election. Um, and that includes respect. Yeah, and stability and the ability to continue on and, and doing so in uh, in a way that is, is meaningful um, for your communities and, and, and your, your country, mm-hmm. I think, is valuable. And you were talking earlier before we were recording about not only the inclusion of like different gender identities, but also um, disability inclusion um, and the ability to vote for um, disabled voters also is like a big aspect of this upcoming election. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting in that uh, the UNDP 
uh, had uh, is is assisting in in helping again financially and and with its infrastructure in 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 deploying the election in first place because of COVID nineteen and safety measures, um, but also really trying to get information out um, and and engage participation of women youth. Um, but also, yeah, as, as you said, people with disabilities, which I think is something that we haven't seen highlighted in other elections, but is a really like important component is that it is it can be very difficult um, to access polling stations and to uh, get to participate and get information that is accessible to you. Um, I know that they're like, uh, yeah, they, they, the UNDP conducted the first Braille training in, in the uh, Dili language in which 170 disabled people participated, um, so that they would be able mm-hmm. to uh, vote uh, with the, and 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 get information through those means. Um, yeah. So and and making sure recognizing the importance of uh, people with physical or visual disabilities to be able to uh, participate in voting. But then also that infrastructure costs money. And so it is useful to have an organization like the UNDP to come and help with that. Mm -hmm. The UNDP being the United Nations Development Program for those Mm -hmm. uh, trying to follow along at home. (laughs) Um, So this election is going to be taking place on March 19th. um, And it's the presidential election. And this is the first round of a two round system for um, presidential elections. It is kind of difficult to find polling numbers right now um, for this uh, East Timorese presidential election. Yes. But some of the the main players, right, are current incumbent president Francisco Gutierrez um, and also Jose Ramos Horta, who's actually a previous Nobel Prize winner and previous um, president of East Timor Mm -hmm. himself. Um, So those are some names to look for, uh, maybe moving into the second round, the runoff round, if nobody gets more than 50% of the vote. Um, so far. Um, but that is going to be happening on March 19th, 2022. So keep an eye out. Check probably about politics Twitter. We will try and we will tweet uh, out some updates on, on the voting. Um, and, and yeah. Okay. So moving from East to more, whose incumbent president is Francisco Gutierrez. Um, we want to know what secretary general of the United Nations. Is yeah. Second most good. Second most important Gutierrez today, um, I think we can. I think we can say. <laughs> uh, so he is up, as you can imagine, if you are keeping up with uh, current events. He is up to a lot to, uh, in the last couple of weeks, but I am not going to pull us into that I, uh, directly. I suppose um, we don't talk about politics yeah, on this never. show, so we're not talking about news, Kaylee. We don't talk about the news. Um, but yeah, so he, Mr. Gutierrez said that, um, uh, has, has recently in a video message to the human rights, uh, UN human rights council, um, said human rights cannot be confiscated by dictators or erased by poverty, nor are they a luxury that can be left for later. They are inescapable and powerful. And then he highlighted that they, he believes that they are key to addressing a current five alarm fire, which sounds very troubling. Um, and it is mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the, the first one that we we've talked about it before. I mean, most of these we'll have talked about a bit before um, was he was really highlighting vaccine inequality. Um, again, uh, you know, the global strategy in order to to be able to manage this in, an, uh, in, in a way that is respectful of, of everyone's human rights and rights to health. 
um, is a, a 70% vaccination of all peoples um, are globally. Um, and so, and, but that is not a number that is being uh, reached. Um, and, and in that, he sort of points to a need to, uh, is, uh, to re-up uh, and to re-establish um, uh, a, a new global deal. He particularly points to that in, in the finance system, um, that there is sort of like this, as a result of the, the pandemic, we've really seen like an increased uh, disparity in, 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 in economic uh, inequality. Um, and developing uh, countries are also particularly feeling that squeeze. And so he's really highlighting that um, there needs to be a re-upping, um, a, a readdressing of what uh, a new global deal would be um, that ensures, you know, the equal distribution or ensures fairer distribution, I should say, of power, wealth and opportunities, um, renewing uh, sort of our, so our agreements that we should be tackling poverty and hunger and investing in education, which has really maybe lost focus and, and is seeing a lot of consequences, particularly for women and girls. Um, perhaps unsurprisingly, he also highlights the climate emergency, which we've addressed a, a few times. That this is sort of what Gutierrez sees as his, like his uh, defining the defining component of his uh, uh, role as UN Secretary General. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also highlighted that uh, the cyberspace and uh, the inequalities that are it's sort of uh, continuing to. Uh, create in that you know the digital divide who has access to inter- the internet um, disinf- the challenges of disinformation and their information and their impact on impact on human rights and he says so he's just sort of pointing out that in all these areas human rights are both under fire but also like an essential an essential component of addressing these challenges prioritizing human rights would are also offering the tools to solving them um, so that's, you know, he's got a lot under it, his belt right now, a lot to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, we, I guess we all do. <laughs> There's something about like the imagery that's always like evoked by Antonio Gutierrez in these speeches. That's very powerful. Yeah. Um, like the idea of taking these five things and not just list them as like, these are the five points for 2022. Um, so quickly rattle off the points. So one of them was access to technology, um, income inequality, yep. climate change, vaccine inequality, and oh, uh, oh, I guess that's it. How uh, the expansion of violence and conflict um, globally, hmm. um, so war and uh, uh, and and its impacts on civilians. So that's yeah, that rounds out a pretty a pretty uh, difficult five, I guess. And I think we would generally agree we've seen that. But no, he's not afraid to say that these are problems um, and, and paint it quite dramatically, which is appropriate. You know, I think this kind of ties into what we were talking about just at the, at the top of the show, how we're going to be talking about what's necessary to maintain democracy. Mm-hmm. And I think the role that Antonio Gutierrez plays is somebody who just keeps saying, Hey, this is still not mm-hmm. good. I know that you guys know that this is a problem, but this is no, this is still it's not still good. Not, we can't just <laughs> accept like, it's not, I think that's the thing, right? Is is human rights is one of those things similar to democracy where it's like it doesn't just happen. Like just because we've written down that these are human rights, you don't just get these human rights, you know? Um it does require sort of an active engagement. Um and I sometimes I think that like this conversation uh that we want to have about democracy about like what 
what keeps it going to me that's really in in some ways a really optimistic conversation it is saying that you know there is you can do the work to address what can seem like uh, so many fires like as, as you say it's a five alarm fire but there are things that we could be doing um and sort of sitting on our hands is is not necessarily going to help um but let's talk about what things could be helpful i guess not to do the thing that podcasters love to do where they're like, this is an important conversation that we're going to have. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is an important conversation to have, and we're going to actually talk about it. So watch this space. Yeah. Um, no, no pun intended. Watch this space. Kaylee. Oh, space news. <laughs> space news. Um, once again, um, on this episode of Probably Politics, space news is not about space. Look, let's keep reimagining. Kaylee, you're always talking to me when I tell you science news at the end of the show because it's only probably about politics and sometimes about mm-hmm. not. Um, you're always saying, hey, should I be afraid of that? Should I be afraid of that? Yeah. And here's something that you should be afraid of. Oh, great. Of. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> um, maybe okay. not. Maybe not. Because there is this, this is research that will have, you know, useful outcomes and impacts potentially in healthcare in mm-hmm. the future. Um this episode is human brain organoids assemble functionally integrated bilateral optical vessels. This sounds kind of gross. Actually, I don't know why, but yeah. So put 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 short and quick and easy because we're going a little bit long here. Is you make a ball of brain cells. Yeah. Well, you, you start with stem cells right. and then you differentiate them into brain cells and then you take that little glob and that's been done before. That's called an organoid, mm-hmm. right? Just like a, a clump of cells that are yeah. specialized in some way. Gross name. Because it's like an organ. Um, and previously, people have taken um, these pluripotent stem cells and also turned them into eye cups. Ooh. Okay. So they're kind of like eyeballs. Okay. But now for the first time ever, as published in Cell Stem Cell a few months mm-hmm. ago, a group has taken these stem cells, made a little brain organoid. So it's not a brain, right? Like it can't, I was talking about this earlier this week with somebody else. It can't feel pain. Okay. Like it's synapses don't fire in coordinated ways to have memory mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's not like so scary. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's gross. Yeah. Um, and you get this little neurosphere. And then you take the protocol that other people have used to differentiate stuff into those little eye cups that mm-hmm. I mentioned. Um, and when you do that with the neuro, with the little neurosphere, um, and I'm doing a weird hand yeah. thing on, on my own face at Kaylee right now, which nobody else can see. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine I'm holding my hands and two of my hands in front of my face, like big eyeballs. Um, you then use the other protocol for making the eye cups and you put that onto the neurosphere mm-hmm. and it makes these little optic vesicle brain organoids where it makes these two little and it makes two oh. specifically two symmetric ones oh. it's so weird man it makes these two symmetric optic nerve cups weird that also respond to light and the brighter the light like the more response they have yeah and in the eye like the little eye cups that are made they didn't have all this specific stuff but they basically had like they had like retinal cells Mm -hmm. like that's the stuff that was that was um responsive to light but then they also had cells that are responsible responsible for like corneal development Mm -hmm. and also for like the lens of the eye development so like they didn't have a lens and a cornea but like those cells were present yeah in the eye cup 
And the, the issue is that these little organoids could only be sustained for like 60 days uh, in vitro. And then they would die, die because like they're not vascularized. So like you can't get like oxygen and nutrients into the middle of them and stuff. But uh, keep, keep yeah. an eye out, no pun intended, <laughs> for human brain organoids assembling yeah. functionally integrated bilateral optic yeah. vesicles. Because <clears throat> that's a super weird thing that people do that you didn't yeah. know about. <laughs> no, that's... Uh... I think that it is probably cool, but it feels weird. That's how I feel about it. Uh, that would be my... I, I don't think it's bad, but I feel weird about it. You don't think? Maybe. Okay, if you <laughs> think it's bad, then I think it's bad. But No, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad. It's like something where you're like, at first glance, you're like, whoa, I think we should ask questions whether or not we should be growing little brains. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because I don't know, if they can feel light, what else can they yeah. feel? Uh, and you may feel a little bit icky yeah. about that. But that would be cool if that was a question you had to ask, but we're just nowhere near okay. that stage. Okay. But it is good to ask those those philosophical questions at like this at point. At what point of, is it wrong? Yeah. yeah. But also could potentially, you know, this allows for research that could help us understand better those signaling pathways between eyes and the brain and how that stuff develops hmm. so that these different diseases that could impact those parts of the body in the future yeah could be solved a real yeah potentially it is cool but potentially cooler but also maybe we'll have to think about it We'll have to think about it uh but you don't have to think about this episode anymore because we're done so thank yes. you for listening to probably about politics if you have any questions or feedback let us know by tweeting at us at probpolitics or sending us an email at probablyaboutpolitics at gmail.com or look that up on the internet and find our website mm -hmm. um, which has a long url but you'll find it if you just type probably about politics <laughs> <laughs> uh remember catch a new episode of probably about politics on the second monday of every yes. month and even some little bonus episodes in between here and there, but you're guaranteed yeah. a new one to come. We in. are committing to you. You're very committed. <laughs> because we love, we love you. you all. Yes. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>